Yeah. <laughs> right, we're on. It's good to be back, ain't it? Yeah, good to be back. Yeah. Um, and we're joined by our guest, Kerry. Yeah, nice to be here. Like I say, it's, um, as you said earlier, it's been a long time coming this podcast. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. You spoke, was it Tubes you did originally? Uh, we're we're going to get Tubes oh, on, okay. actually, originally. Yeah. Is that is that how you I heard so. about yeah, us? Yeah, I saw him really yeah. something you guys yeah. did and... Yeah, start following you and stuff. Yeah, we've sort of been following each other on Instagram, haven't we, for a little while. We've seen all the work you've been doing. It's amazing, mate. Um, so, yeah, we really appreciate, like, you coming on and sharing Thanks your story. Thanks about the house. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully, like, well, it will. It'll, um, getting your story out there, obviously, it'll it will help, help people. people so. Yeah, Definitely. People in cer- similar circumstances um, who are going through it now or potentially in the future and mm-hmm. stuff. Do you know what I mean? Even if it helps one person, we feel like we've done our job and all that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, sort of, uh, we've followed your story, like we say on Instagram, um, with your story on grief on Hugh. Um, do you want to elaborate on yeah, that? Yeah, of course. So, uh, just to go back right to the start, um, Hugh, my oldest son, was five, well, yeah, turned five, 2020. He was diagnosed with a rare soft tissue cancer um, in half term, October 2020. He underwent six months of intensive chemotherapy. Um, the cancer was called rhabdomyosarcoma, which is said there's about a one in 60 million chance of him having. So it's ultra rare. Um, then finished the six month treatment. He rang the bell May 23rd in Addingbrooks, underwent radiotherapy, had 16 sessions out from his torso, completely blasted him. And we thought we were winning. And then he went back to school for six weeks in July, which was the aim for him all the way to go back to school. Mm-hmm. And then we got to his birthday, August the 30th, and he started to feel unwell, went off his food again. And, you know, we just thought it was an accumulation of all the chemotherapies and stuff that he'd been through. And it's a lot, a lot of stuff. He lost quite a bit of weight, but that was like par for the course of what he was having. Yeah. And he made his sixth birthday. He had his friend over, his best friend on the 29th of August, which was the first time really that his friends came around because we, we went through it all during COVID. So we isolated ourselves, which was a blessing in disguise, really, because obviously everyone was washing their hands and wearing masks. So yeah. the risk of infection for him was quite low. Yeah. So, which was nice. And also the other side is that we, we isolated ourselves as a family. We, we didn't want anyone come in the house. Yeah. So everyone had to stay in the garden. So people didn't really see as much of him as they should have done during that time. But the aim was to get him through it and then to get his life back on track again. Yeah, of course. Anyhow, so he made his sixth birthday and he wasn't, eating his cake, which we normally wouldn't, he chose it. And uh, then, unfortunately, eight days later, we went back into hospital and he relapsed. We were told that was that was it for Hugh. And 10 days after that, on the 18th of September, Hugh passed away, uh, age six. So 18 days after his sixth, or 19 days after his sixth birthday. And like I say, left a massive hole as grief does. You never expect to be bearing your child, especially your first one, mm. or any child, really. And after that, my wife and I sat out and we wanted to change the way that parents uh, were supported during the whole treatment of a child with cancer, because we, we experienced it. No one can tell you how you experience it more than someone who goes through it. And our experiences were one that we felt completely unsupported and anything that to do with us. And quite rightly, the medical staff look after the child, but you know, there's a lot of people in that hospital, psychologists, counsellors, nutritionists, dietitians, all for the children, but they never turn around and ask how we're doing as parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then to, to sum it up, what really set us off and set the fire burning inside of us and why we needed to do something was because uh, after Hugh passed away, I needed some help with PTSD and things. And my wife was dealing with it her way. And that's the thing with relationships, you each at different places of how to deal with things. So yeah, there's no definitely. right or wrong way. And sometimes... 
I quite 100 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. She's a bit slower with that stuff and she's more, uh, takes her time with it. There's no handbook on how to sort of deal with no, it. No, definitely you, not. Don't, like you say, don't know how you can deal with it. And it can cause it. relationship issues or any, any family issues. Yeah, you definitely. might see someone doing something different that you don't agree with. Mm. Um, and some people might be in denial and some people might, there's all this seven stages of grief that you go through. Yeah, definitely. But anyway, I reached out for help and I had to support her, my youngest son, Rafe. We had to tell him that his brother wasn't coming home. Uh, he didn't understand. There was no one telling us how to say that's not the sort of thing you expect to tell your no, son. Definitely. No, that his must bro- have been. Older brother's not coming home. So that must have been so hard, mate. What is it, the age difference between? Uh, Hugh was so uh, three years difference, just over, just under three years difference. So Rafe was aware of uh, what was going on, but to be fair, Hugh wasn't really aware of what was the gravity of what mm-hmm. he had. We kept it from him, um, and that's the thing that my wife and I did well through it is we kept all the the nuts and gritty detail about the cancer and things to yeah. get away from him. And basically it was anytime he said, oh, what is this that I've got? I just said, like, mate, you're on some medicines. It's going to go. Don't worry. We'll get back on your life. We'll go to Disney World. Mm-hmm. It's all finished and you'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, we knew the ins and outs, what we had to sign as parents, the documents, the risks, the, the later life stuff that you had to look forward to. But my view on it was always, well, 30 years, 40 years, I might not be around anyway. Mm-hmm. So I'll deal mm-hmm. with it now and then yeah. we'll get him through it. But, um, yeah, so I needed to get some help to support everyone else, my family, her family, his friends, his peers, his parents, his friends' parents. And I reached out to several charities. The NHS is a huge waiting list for grief and counselling, as yep. you guys were saying earlier. Mm-hmm. I think average wait time at the moment on the NHS is 100 to 120 days for mental support, which is strange when all the adverts on TV are saying, yeah. speak to us and speak to us, but yeah, there's no exactly. one there to speak to. Could mm. you speak to any of your mates or anything like that? Or uh, I found it very hard. One of the things that I found is when I was going through it with you, um, for example, in the hospitals, a very female-orientated, uh, charity-driven service that you get because it, the majority of the time, the caregivers in the hospital are the mothers. So in that situation, it tends to be that the mothers give up work to support mm. the child and the fathers go out and work so you tend to find in that situation that fathers the research shows that fathers get more mental health problems within the first year of a child having an illness yeah. because of the uh the time away from the child in the hospital and also the list the sort of your ships passing in the night with your wife so you have that relationship issue but you get to talk about it well you well, i think talking is the only way through it yeah, but um definitely. there is no support as per from the hospital for us, and that's why as we go back to it, so we set the charity up. But a young lad phoned me up once from a charity. I won't name the charity. He phoned me up and I said, oh, your wife said you might need to speak to someone. I said, all right mm. then. So he said, um, do you want to speak to him? I said, can I ask you a question? He said, have you got children? He went, no. I said, well, let's just end the conversation now. Yeah. I said, how can you, you're not, not on the same parallel as me. Yeah. You haven't, and this is no- How can you never ever relate to yeah, me? You, do you know what I mean? You've yeah. never held your own child in your arms before. So you don't know the love and the pain yeah, that I'm yeah, feeling. Course, mate, yeah. And secondly, you don't understand the anxiety that I have having a child with cancer. So, and the uncertainty that I have. So let's just end the conversation now. And I found it really hard to talk to my friends because, you know, whenever you're going through something, whether it's your dad or your mum or your grandparents, people say, oh, uh, they go they, these go-to cliche phrases that they go to, oh, keep going and everything's going to yeah. be all right. Mm. And, you know, trust the doctor. You don't want to hear that, and then no, then yeah. when the parents, when unfortunately when someone does die, they go, "Oh, he's in a better place now." 
no, the best place is next to his dad. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's the best fucking place. Yeah. Not mm. in Evan or wherever he is. Do you know, that, they're, yeah. not a better, they're not in a fucking better place. Mm. No, definitely That's not. next to me. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I can yeah. give him a better place. So that, that sort of stuff annoyed me when people used to say, so... And as I say, the, the beauty of it in that sense is that we went through it during COVID. So we didn't have to you talk to people. Sort of, yeah, keep yourself so to yourself. Away and I come off social media because my first world problem was my my son losing his hair. Yeah. And their first world problem was some child. Yeah, you don't want to see all that. Yeah, yeah. And then you listen to LBC and like I say, everything's relative. I'm not one to discourage anyone else's problems. But when someone's talking about, I can't see my boyfriend of COVID, I miss them. Like, mate, well, big, yeah, I'm in hospital seeing kids with no legs your eyes, yeah. and with bald heads going through the hardest time of their lives and mm. so it's all relative so we come off all that and when you speak to your friends they didn't quite understand where you're coming from yeah. or the stress and pain that you feel and yeah. also they've got young children and I didn't want to burden them with what I've seen, that just shows how nice you are, no? Because well, could, yeah, 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 but it's, yeah, you can you can hurt people. Mm. You know? it's, we've said this before on one of our podcasts. It's an awkward one because people, I think people feel like they don't want to maybe talk to her thing. about it because they don't want to say the wrong thing or upset yeah. you. And also you don't know if you want to talk to them because you don't know if you're going to put them in an awkward position. Do you know what I mean? But it's... It's finding like the say, balance. Yeah. Trying to find well, the right Well, I always people. found if someone stays... Someone just says, look, we've had a few people, obviously with the charity we speak to, and unfortunately some of the parents have lost a child, and some of their friends have asked us, what do I say to them? I just said, just send a message to them here for you. Yeah. That is it. Don't say anything else. Yeah, yeah. Give them time. Give them space and don't and push them come, to do it. If, and if they if want they, to come to you, exactly. that's it. It's one of mm. nice things. You can't control what anyone else does. Mm. So if they want to come to you, they'll come to you. Yeah. So I'm here for you if you need anything and leave it as that. And if they yeah. want something, they'll come to you. Yeah, definitely. Going back a little bit, mate, what was that sort of, you obviously do remember it, but that first sort of feeling when you found out that you had cancer? Uh, you jumped straight to the point of, that's it, he's dead. Mm. that's the first initial mm-hmm. feeling so on that as I said to you we spoke before I said my mum my wife was in hospital with him because of COVID so she had to deal with all the bad news firsthand. Yeah, which I kind of feel really sorry for her because she has to deal with that firsthand. Yeah. Um, and then you wanted to just help and support her but I'm anxious ridden with that point so I can't talk to doctors never been mm-hmm. able to talk to doctors anyway no I'm always worried about what they're going to say and yeah. you don't really go to a doctor for good news no. uh, there's always some, some element wrong mm. but Shows I I I quickly put on a front to say that everything's going to be all right. We're going to fight this. Yeah. And then the first instance when I saw him, it, I felt better when I saw Hugh. Mm. So when I saw him and no, he was all right. You know, it's um. So if you if you're with someone, they're talking to you. You can actually see that they're all right. Yeah. But it's when the distance. Yeah, you're you, overthinking it. You're overthinking. Your yeah. mind's wanting to go. Oh, fuck, what's he doing now? But when I'm sat next to him, that's what I like being in hospital with him. Uh, that sounds a bit strange, but I, I prefer to go in with his chemo to mm-hmm. see him and make sure he's all yeah. right. Because mm. if you go away, that's all you. Yeah, I'm be panicking, about. and then you might your wife might misconstrue or something might misconstrue a sentence, mm. and then you're like, "What? What's he said? Why has he said that?" And then you end up doing your wife's head in, yeah. or your pe- friend's head in, mm. or your, whatever it is, because you're asking questions all the time. Um, but I was, I was silly. I was devastated. You go uh, how cold with a mo cold. I remember the word, and the, and just like your world just crumbled. And, um, because you never think well the first words my wife said to me was you never you always think it's someone else it's never you yeah, and yeah, also yeah. that's the name of our charity yeah, it's never yeah. you um, and you hear about it in papers and all of a sudden you someone said this to me you were the story that was in the papers like you read about children mm-hmm. getting cancer and you think um, what's all that all the, you see all these people raising money on the street for children with cancer sick children you think oh that's never going to be me Yeah, uh, it's mad how you 
do like really do think it's never going to be you. Do yeah, you, you think you're, and you also you think you're sort of uh, invincible. Yeah, you, you breeze mm-hmm. through life without issues and problems. We've said the exact same when we said about yeah. our dad and that. We like looked at him like he was invincible. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's it's crazy. Well, we, do isn't at, it? we do have this tendency to look at people and think, and that's the unfortunate thing about life is that. It's only till the last day you realise that people aren't invincible, mm. and you take it all for granted. Yeah, definitely. And, that, and then it's something like this that sort of brings you back down to earth. And like, I think, I think anything comes with immortality of question of your own mortality. You, your anyone that you know, I think, because all of a sudden, I say with grief, um, jumping a bit, is that all of a sudden someone's in your life, and then someone's out your life, and you can't yeah. really put two and two together. Why mm. all of a sudden someone had so much energy, and not say like your dad, and mm. you're saying there's so much energy. All of a sudden, it's not got any. And how can that? I look at videos of Hugh jumping around the room with keys. I, I was going to say, I watched one of your videos uh, of Hugh dancing and yeah. he uh, lost his hair. Yeah, and it was pretty much into like... the most strongest chemo you can ever have. And they just run it. And I'm like, and that, that's what, do you know, that's the hurt bit about it all. You think, how can someone with so much energy yeah, yeah, yeah. and with so much to live for and a five year old should be running around outside? Yeah. Mm. just be taken down by it? I, I don't really get it. But what was your um, mindset at that point? So he was. When he, he was, was when I got diagnosed, yeah, uh, uh, we put on a. I'm always quite a positive person. I never let it. Um, my all of a sudden, I said to my wife, "This is what we're going to do." And she was good. To be fair, she's hard. You see me as well. To be fair, mate, just the, for the brief like, what is it? Hour that we've known you. Even though you've been through what you've been through, you've seemed like a really positive person. Well, my issue, I, I've been through things with my family before. Like I said to you, I said my dad was on a life support for six weeks, mm. and then like I said, my mum had breast cancer. And thankfully, they're both all right now. But it, it builds resilience up. So, and also, you, it, it's for me, my own view on it is it what are you going to achieve by breaking? Mm, yeah. There's a time to break mm. and do it in my, I'm yeah. not, I'm not the stiff upper lip stuff, but there's a time to break and there's a time to be strong. Okay, she didn't want to break and in the front first, of you yeah, as well. And the first thing I thought of, if I was a five year old boy, what would I want with all these wires and things hanging out at me in a hospital so bright lights looking at me? What would you want? You want your dad and your mum being strong and telling being you like, it's going to be yeah, all right. It's going to be all right. So I said to my wife, yeah. the thing that we do is we never say anything to him, nor we're going to tell him it's going to be all right. Mm. So don't even batter. If you start crying, get out of the room. Mm. Yeah. I said to, we made that. I said, get out of the room. And I said it to my mum. I said it to all of us. So you start crying out of the room. Don't show any fear towards him. Yeah, and I said to him, he doesn't know. And said, fear is learned in that respect because as adults, we all know about fear. We all know what certain words cancer mm-hmm. sheds shudders up us because we've yeah. all been affected by yeah. it. But five years old, you don't really. You don't understand yeah. it. And fear is learned. He doesn't understand what that is. Yeah. To him, and the beauty, he doesn't understand what the medicines are. He doesn't understand what. I mean, we used to frame like radiotherapy, for example, like a laser zapping your body and mm. smoke's going to come out your mm-hmm. ears. And that was the way we termed it. Mm. But my mindset at that point was right. This is the task that we've got. This is the plan they've given us. That's the first thing I wanted. Is there a plan? Right, we've got a plan. Let's fight. The plan is we're going to stick to the plan and see where it takes us. It's worked this stuff before. It's going to try and work now. I don't care if he's got 5, 10, 15, I think 30% chance of survival was what they gave him at the time. I said, I actually didn't know that. I thought it was about 5%. So I was living on the basis that he had 5% chance mm. of survival. And my wife only told me after he passed away that he had 30%. So I was like, wow. I said, I would have taken those odds at the, the time. The thing is, you probably you probably did hear it, but there was so much going on. Oh, and you hear read, so much. Thing I used to read the documents that come home. I threw them straight in the bin. Yeah. And I said, they send all these reports home. Like, bin. But I don't want to read that. Mm-hmm. I don't read what he's got. Don't, I don't even want to Google it. Yeah. So I said, right, we're going to stick to the plan. I don't want to hear anything else. And when I used to speak to the doctors, ignorant or not, people might think, but I said, don't tell me anything. So that's the plan. I said, is it off plan? No. Right, well, we're sticking to it then. Yeah. 
So it's a really positive they, way to be. To be well, yeah, or a stupid way to be. Yeah. Not, but I was obviously quite a thing is to him, to Hugh was like, right, we don't talk. I said to the doc, don't talk about it in front of him. I said, make sure he knows nothing about it or any gravity about it. We used mm. to turn every ca- cancer advert off on the radio. You know, you get all these cancer adverts now. And so mm-hmm. if you haven't been to the toilet for three weeks or something, mm. you've got to be careful and stuff like that. So I made sure that everything's off. So turn it all off, turn the adverts down. And then that was also for my own sanity. How are you with that now? If you hear like an advert like that, are you okay? To be fair, I'm immune to it mm-hmm. because I work in that world now yeah. with the charity. Yeah. I, could probably tell you every symptom under the sun for children's cancer. Yeah. And obviously when you're exposed to cancer, you realize that it does affect everyone at some point will know or be affected by it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. you're not, you can't get your life through it. You're going to mm. be, but it's only when it comes close to home that it starts to really hit home. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So we went on that. And then um, when he was in hospital to Hugh, I remember six weeks in five weeks into his chemo, they started chemo on Halloween he got diagnosed on the 23rd and then in seven days he started chemo. So it's like a big, like he was, he went downhill quite rapidly. So I put him on oxygen. He said, well, we're going to start chemo tonight. And then I remember about a week after that, my wife and I were doing five days at a time in hospital because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't be in there together. Mm-hmm. So we were doing five days and I was doing five days and then we'd never really speak to each other. I mean, that's, that's like six. tough. On it was tough yeah. It? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the only time we talked was when we were out in the car park for five minutes when the play nurses was washing him. And then I'd get, like I'd walk in and five days is a long time to watch someone deteriorate under cancer treatment. Yeah. You know, a lot of the chemotherapy, especially a mm-hmm. five year old, like he just lo- he went from looking all right to looking like really, really ill. Yeah. And I remember going in saying, wow, Jesus, what, what was happening here? And that's, and it was the same as when you walked into that cancer world, it's quite humbling uh, experience. If anyone wants an eye opener as to oh, what it's life a big is reality about, check, isn't it? Yeah, yeah and you see children seriously yeah. ill in hospital. That is an eye opener. That actually life ain't that bad. Yeah, if you're having a bad day, if you're having a bad there. day, and that's where I think like putting footballers in those situations mm-hmm. to realise you've got it good. Yeah, yeah. Not, don't yeah. moan and mind about your thing. But like yeah. I said, it's relative. But we it is. Yeah, but it's one of them, isn't it? Like you, even ourselves. I don't know about yourself, but you like even now and again, you have like a bad day, and you think, oh, for God's sake, like, but. Then hearing stuff like that, you go like, actually, yeah, yeah like it's nothing compared deal. to what some but people are going through, what, like what we went through before or whatever. Do you know what I mean? When you talk about things like that, I actually think, and I hate to say this, and we said about about what it does to you, and I wouldn't say anything in case any parents are listening. But at that point, Hugh was ill in the last couple of weeks of his life, and you know, you said about your your dad and things, and mm. I actually think as a parent, I don't think I would have coped with the anxiety all my life of worrying about it coming back. Yeah. I don't know how I would have dealt with that. And I know it sounds really sad for Hugh as well to be of an age where he understood it. I don't know how I would have dealt with him being 12 years old, asking me the question, am I going to die? Yeah. That's that's, the re- I don't know how I would have yeah. dealt with that. Well, that's so, that's Yeah, And I don't know how I would have dealt with that. And I feel for the parents, I'm, I'm jealous of the parents that have their children next to them now because I would change that yeah all day of the week every day of the week mm. but i don't envy their anxiety and their fear I've, I've got one thing to deal with which is grief yeah but i don't think i've got not i forget i've got lots of anxiety about my child gets a cold and panicking all the time yeah that's what yeah. i was gonna ask are you quite panicky yeah, now I'm, yeah but um but then with the I'm, i struggle with it but i'd love to, i'd replace i'd bring Hugh back anytime that i could i'll swap with him anytime i could but i don't know if i'm in a better 
it's hard. You know what? It's it's really difficult to say because you think, could I have gone through all that anxiety all my life? It would have mm. aged me. Yeah, and it probably would have killed me early. Yeah, and, so, you would have and then I would have been, he would have been on his own. My fear would he would have been on his own, facing all that on his own. Yeah. When, but do you know what, mate? You're probably not the only one that has ever oh, yeah. thought like that, and you've probably experienced that from like, and you know yeah. that from doing your charity and talking to other parents. And I see parents going through it, and I just feel sorry for them. I mean, I was that parent, and. Like you are, I can see tears in their eyes welling up, like yeah. just because of the, the, the stress of it all. And it is like, I can't explain to you, it's relentless. It is, you can't do anything. You can't plan. You can't go out. You don't know what one day to the next is. And I just, and that's why we we set the charity up was to help them. But as you say, like um, going back to the, when, the, the framing with Hugh is that when he was in hospital and one day we used to see the change in him. One of the days I remember him just sitting in bed and he's like, He's like, he got into his mindset, I can't walk, I can't do anything like that. And I was like, what? You're like, you, can, you can do that. So where he was sat in bed, there was a toilet about three metres away from his bed mm. and he couldn't walk to the toilet. And that's a five-year-old. I was like, whoa, like something, this isn't like Hugh anyway. He was on chemo and it started already, the chemo. And it's quite, it was like the strongest stuff you could have. So I said to him, like, you're going to walk to that toilet by the end of this week. Whether you like it or not, you're walking to that toilet. I'm not having it. You walk into that toilet. So he said, no, I'm not, Daddy. I'm not doing it. I said, I can't. I'm in too much pain. I said, I don't care. You're doing it. So you're not in pain. You're fine. The doctor said you can do it. So I got him up every day. We walked a little bit further. And then I got him to the toilet one day. And I was like, right. So I told you you could do it. And actually a day before we were supposed to do it, he's like, right, okay. So I tried to install this mental attitude to him that there's no, no, you can do everything. Mm, yeah. There's none of this. Rubbish. What a strong little boy, though, isn't it? Yeah, like... exactly. None of this bollocks that you, you're you not going to sit there and take it. You're going to get up and you're going to fucking walk. Yeah. And I, whether I think will think I'm strong or horrible for that, That's I don't care. But it's a positive it, frame of mind. I wasn't going to let him sit in bed and just feel, feel sorry for himself. Anyway, mm. so I got him out and I said, set him a target. I said, that is the end of the... I said, your bed is here and you're going to walk to the nurse's mess by so-and-so. And the nurses went... And I remember chatting to nurses. I told him he's going to walk to there by that. And if he does that, I'm going to buy him a Lego. He said, and he said, oh, I can't do it. I said, yes, you can. So I remember one day I got him up and I said, so I was chatting to my missus on the phone. I said, text him. I said, Look, I'm going to get him to walk to there. She went, oh, don't push mm. him. I said, no, he's doing it. I said, he can do it. So anyway, he got him up and he walked to the thing and all the nurses were cheering him. I bet his little face. Yeah, like, he's brilliant. Oh, like, I was in tears. Yeah. I used to, it wells me up now thinking about yeah. it. But just I made well, him. What a like, memory to have though. Yeah, as well, but I, I made it? him do it and I thought, do you know what? What a trooper. And then he went back in the bed and he was, he was like, yeah, I can do it. And then, um, because he was ahead of schedule at that point with the treatment. So then right. I um, we, we got let home early. And I made, like the doctor said, oh, don't do them. So I made him get, I bought a little trampoline for the house. Right. So right, we're going to do this. You're going to just keep exercising. You're going to keep fit. And we're going to just keep, not drilling you, but, but exercise is a massive yeah, make thing. Him, yeah, 100%. He's still a five-year-old boy, isn't it? It's like yeah. sort of and normality. He of bouncing being, around. Yeah. And I feel sorry. He couldn't go in a bath because of his Hickman line. He couldn't do that. He couldn't go on a trampoline. We've got a huge trampoline the guy on that Father Christmas bought him. Mm. He couldn't go on that. He couldn't ride his bike. He basically fallen off. He couldn't play football with his friends. Mm. Couldn't see his friends. And I just felt that's like wrong. So yeah. we tried to do everything that we could as a parent for him in that, that space of time. But yeah, even like six days before he, well, seven days before he got, how many days? No, 3rd of September. So for 15 days before he died, we, he bought him a new bike for his birthday. Mm. And we took him out on his new bike. He wasn't well. But I know that he, no, I didn't know at the time that he was like in terminal, but he wanted to go out. He was tired. And I said, look, come on, ride your bike. You can do it. So mm. I got a picture of him. He rode his bike around the little farm track near our house and he was smiling, but like he was like really ill at that point. Yeah. Was you in like a constant worry at that point? Like when will he start getting better and stuff like that? 
Yeah, I think you hit a point in your head when you realise you know something's not right. Mm. And like mm. we said this outside, you, yeah. you can feel like you think your dad like he wasn't well, and you you know in your head when something's not right. And I knew my wife was panicking, and I know I was panicking. You try to be po- you're trying to be positive, but there's that little thing in the back of your head. You're going like, oh, I don't know, like well, you promise I don't you, know. You believe not believe. You're listening to the doctors, and the doctors saying no, it can't be that. Yeah, you're going off no, the something, experts. Something is wrong here. Yeah, you and know your They don't know. Yeah. They only know a certain amount of what's going on. It's yeah. not. They don't know exactly what's going on. Live mm. on it. Um. Yeah. And then. Uh, but yeah, it's difficult because you get yourself in the frame of mind that you think everything's gonna be all right, and whether that was false of us. And uh, is... but you're just being told what the experts are saying. Yeah. You, so you're looking out a positive. But I never. I'll be honest with you. I just stayed in my my, my mind was like one track. That's it. It's gonna be fine. We get through. We're gonna go to Orlando in July. We're gonna go to Disney World, and that is what we're doing. So that was my mindset. And then you find a swerve ball. Mm. You think, oh, okay, then we'll deal with this now then. And it kept, I don't know about you guys when you did it, you kept finding that you were batting away balls all the time at a mm. crease. Yeah. Something coming. It's like a back. wave. It's like an ocean. It's like constant waves coming at you. Yeah. There's no smooth sailing. Is there? no. And it's like, there's another wave and thing. And then you sit back and after Hugh died, I was like, fuck, I don't think I can take anymore. Yeah. It does. It's sort of like, if anything, it like kills a little bit of you inside, then it? Yeah. You, you've been through. You're probably like, emotionally damaged, like really all that period. You probably you've seen things it. and heard the things thing is, that no guys, one should ever have to. I remember just sitting back at it, and when people ask me how you cope with it, I say, "Do you know what? One day I sit back and go, what the fuck happened?'" Do you know what? <laughs> I've been asked this question before. Like people like go, "Like oh, I don't know how you do it and all that." And this obviously is coming from us who've lost our dad, and a lot of people lose mm. their dads and that, and. But like, and I always say, you sort of, if I was looking in on it, I'd, I'd go like, yeah, how did we? But you just do it, don't you? You do just well, deal well, with it. I just think that one of the big things that I think grief is someone will always encounter grief sometime in their life. Yeah. The grief isn't larger because you have lose someone. The grief is still the same feeling, mm. no matter who you lose. Yeah. So the closer they are to you, probably the more intense it is. But grief is, you mm-hmm. can have grief from a breakup or anything. Yeah. But grief is grief. Yeah. But mm. the problem is, is that I believe wholly that it should be taught at school. Yeah, do you know what? That we, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've spoken to someone else about this. Yeah, I, I agree, to be honest with you. To sort of, obviously, there's no preparing you up for that sort of feeling, but you know, but, make you understand it a bit more. Well, just tell you what it is. You're going to, yeah. you're going to, what the seven stages are, well, there's, but there's no order what they're in, but people die. And when they're of an age where they understand it, children, to prepare them for it. Yeah, not telling him how you can. This is how you cope with it, mm. and there are certain ways you can cope with, which I found um, strategies that I've used and I still use now and stuff. But I just think that it's not a condition; it's a part of life. Yeah, and that's where people pigeonhole it. I think a little bit too much, and it's like a condition. Yeah, like the mm-hmm. depression is a condition. Yeah, that's something that can be helped with medication, and yeah. and sometimes there's chemical imbalances that can cause depression. Yeah, that's yeah, been yeah. proven, but grief is something you haven't asked for and it's just happened mm. it's always with you as well I feel and like, every morning I yeah. don't know about you I wake up every morning I'm I'm, I'm hit with it and I mm-hmm. sit you out there the only time it's ever going to leave me is when I shut my eyes for the last time Yeah. but then I shut my eyes for the last time I'm going to turn around the corner and I'm going to be playing Lego with him so yeah. it's one of those isn't it so I yeah. lose one thing and you're going to be playing I, I, football whatever we old man I think I see um, a clip I think it was on Ashley Kane's podcast and I think he was interviewing is it that Jake um Lost his dad. Yeah, lost his dad. And he said we was it was similar. Like you, you're always gonna have that grief, but I never want that grief either to leave me because it sort of it drives you, know, you on. It does, yeah. And you sort of 
it reiterates how much that person meant to you and stuff, mm. don't it? It's almost like well, there's some some phrase. It's the love that you can't give. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's the love that you want to give, but you can't. Yeah, it's all so the it's love the that you could never give to them. Yeah, it? Like and that's that. what grief is. Is what does the Queen say? It's the price you pay for love. Yeah, price. For yeah. Love. So yeah. if you didn't love someone, you wouldn't feel that bad about them. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just like, yeah, it shows how much you love them and. Like yeah, it's, it's it's nice to have their memories and to talk about them and stuff. Yeah, definitely. We we do it all the time, don't we? Like we say, it was our dad's anniversary on Wednesday, and we sp- spoke about like the memories and stuff like that. Did you um find and I was like we talked about the illnesses outside, which obviously they succumb to, um, but you tend to block that out when you start thinking of happy memories. They tend to go mm-hmm. after a while. So I can't when I put memories of you now. Obviously, I go to flashbacks of certain things that happen, which, yeah. which is part of what has on. But it's the happy memories now, and that's what that what say when people say about grief and understand it, they said sometimes the, in time the happy memories will come to the forefront. Yeah, because mm. when the, it first happens, all you think about is the bad ones, and yeah, you think yeah, and then it, yeah. over time you think oh, actually on the holiday we've done this and this and this. Yeah, and, and you start bring, thinking yeah. of all the and and mm-hmm. I we we've got especially at home we've got obviously we've got two younger. Uh, children one's never met Hugh she's been born and Rafe obviously yeah. is the intermediate and un- un- mm-hmm. has met Hugh but he'll never remember Hugh he was no. too young so we try to keep Hugh's name alive at home yeah. um, by saying oh like Hugh used to like that or like um, Batman stuff Hugh was well into Batman so you see Batman Rafe just got into Batwheels so for me it's like oh it's nice to see like Hugh was never Rafe was never into Batman or Marvel Hugh was well into Marvel mm-hmm. and Lego and things like that so you, you come home and all of a sudden you're like oh I'm not going to play Lego at the moment. I, used to, I miss playing Lego. Yeah, and I yeah, miss yeah. watching Marvel mm-hmm. Lego on the TV. Mm. And you end up trying to push it on Rafe. Rafe, do you sure you don't want to watch Marvel? Yeah. No, I hate it. <laughs> oh, all right then. So that's that, that's a, weird, a strange thing about losing. Yeah. That's the sort of the grief stuff that you're mm-hmm. going through. It's like, oh, mm. I miss that stuff now. Yeah. And then actually, he started getting into battles. So I was a bit. I felt a bit warm. I was like, oh, let's watch Batman again then. Yeah, all these yeah. bat toys I've kept from Hugh. Um, yeah, like, and that's the thing. They're, they're two different children. That's the. It's difficult, isn't it? Yeah, there's no right along way. Yeah. Obviously, we we haven't got kids, but I can imagine it's difficult. And like, what what's it's going to be nice for when he's when they're growing up and that to sort of obviously where you're going to keep his his memory alive and yeah, that and see how much stuff like what you're doing for him and stuff. He's gonna, that's going to be lovely yeah, for him to and, see, like, isn't so it? We put um, it, there's a lot of when I went in. Like I said, when I, when Hugh died, I went straight into trauma therapy, like for PTSD. And yeah, one of the things that they were quite keen on me not doing was hiding Hugh's name or shutting up about it around the house. Because I think if you don't talk about the child, and that is, I've, I've seen cases where parents and families do shut up about the child and don't talk about it and don't deal with it. And then like I say, everyone's entitled to it. But I think if you don't talk about it in your house and you make it almost a sacrosanct name, then it, I think you're lining up that young child for problems. But right. I think personally, but I mean, medical people might say cancer might say otherwise, but I think it's good to talk about in the house and keep him alive. In yeah, the house. yeah, because he hasn't gone; he's just gone physically. No. Mm. And I said to Rafe, I said, "Talk him all about him." And then, if you see our charity, the, the butterfly symbol um, is that we had to tell Rafe that his brother wasn't coming home, and like, there's no manual, manual. No one knows how to tell a child. There's obviously yeah. some theories on it, but you've got to be blunt with them because mm-hmm. they understand bluntness. Children, so we had to say, "Look, Hugh's dead." didn't really understand that we said oh and i become across a poem uh, when the caterpillar thought its world was over it became a butterfly mm. so the boys used to have obviously what well, in the industry that i'm in we get loads of caterpillars across golf courses so we have an environmentalist so we used to take like a dozen caterpillars home a year we'd have a butterfly net where they they would grow on leaves and stinging nettles and then they form chrysalises and then 
one day you'd see they appear as a butterfly and we open the net and they fly off. Mm-hmm. So that was our, we said to Rafe that he would become a butterfly and he flown yeah. off. Um, yeah, he understood so, that. Yeah. And then like now he says, he's a butterfly. He goes, oh, mm-hmm. that's my brother. Oh, that's so, nice. So he it? understands. And he's, you have a butterfly in your logo, don't yes, you? Yes, the butterfly yeah, is the logo, yeah. yeah. So that's the orange butterfly is the Admiral. I butterfly. like how it's all connected. Yeah, and so stuff. it's yeah, all about really like, um, and the butterfly, people look at it, if it's, it's in flight, so the butterfly's flying. It's yeah. got an infinity symbol on it and it's in flight. So it's not static. It's always flying around. So that was the symbol. That's how we told Rafe um, about it all. And I mean, I think the behavioural problems are coming now with Rafe about 18 months on. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, like it's a bit difficult sometimes, but you don't know how to deal with it. No one else has to deal with a child. No. So he's a bit mm. too young. Yeah. Moment, but we'll get him some help I think yeah. later down the line. But, After yeah. Hugh passed, how did you um, find it? So, how did you deal with it? What personally? Yeah, personally. Um, I <clears throat> I'm always one that's quite strong and resilient, but stay on the positive side. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't let anything get me down. After Hugh passed that night, we had an Uber drive home. My mum and dad came to the hospital that night, <coughs> and my my mother-in-law. I phoned them up. I said, "Look, you've got to come down. Uh, I don't think he's got long left." So I phoned them up. They came down, and it was about eleven twenty. Hugh passed. So they, them words you never think you're going to ever say. You know? No, and I think my mum, I feel sorry for her in a sense because she had a hip operation, a hip replacement the day he went into hospital relapsed. Right. So she couldn't come and see him because mm-hmm. she was isolating. And um, so I met, we met them outside the hospital. <coughs> sorry, boys. And then, I met them outside the hospital and then um, we had to go back to the shared care. We had like a flat we were in for like two days when Hugh was in that room for a long time. And they moved us to a different room. Obviously, they knew what was happening. And then, um, yeah, so my wife and I said, Look, I don't want to go home with you guys. So we got an Uber home, which was the most surreal, weird time. Like an hour and a half to get home in an Uber. And the guy's talking about the football. We've just lost our son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, and the, we were just acting like, yeah, I was chatting to him at Arsenal. Yeah. Like, he knows in the back seat, we've just had the worst experience of mm. our lives. And then we came home. Sort of like <coughs> almost on like autopilot sort of little bit like yeah so he come home and i was like right and then i i, I think i cried for about four days and i honest to admit then i what i was like looking in the player i'm thinking shit like never going to be in there again never going to walk through those doors again i saw his shoes at the spot on the stairs i think fuck right i don't know how i'm going to get through this mm. and i a first time at that point i i actually said i, I struggled like mm. to think how am i going to mm-hmm. deal with this because my wife she struggled as well and we're both really 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 positive people and strong people and Actually, to be fair, in hospital, you were. What was strange about it is that you're asking. You know, Hugh's going to pass sadly, but you're asking him questions about his funeral, which is like for. Which is tough. Yeah, so, really tough, yeah. mate. So yeah. you're asking him like I didn't ask him quite outright about it, but you're asking, "What was your favourite ever experience, Hugh?" And he said to me, "London Eye." I said, "It's the fan what?" And then I said, "For two weeks, fan and I just stayed in a bed with him, like like um, we had a room about the size of this with two beds, and Hugh was in that bed." And then we just stayed in there for two weeks with him. Like, mm, didn't leave the room mm. with him every time. And then we were chatting to him and I said, um, what was your favourite song? And he told us like his favourite song. And What was his favourite song? Uh, he loves, uh, oh, I've got it now. Shockwave, Liam Gallagher. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. like <laughs> Going out of Shockwave. So he said, that's his favourite song. And then um, the London Eye, he said, that was, I was a bit surprised by that. So London Eye came. <laughs> so we were chatting to him and that was the hard bit. And then I said to him, because I, in April, I wanted to keep myself active. So I signed up to the marathon to yeah, run for a charity. I yeah, I and then I said, oh, I'm, they're not going to give me a place. Anyway, they phoned me up while I was in hospital with you. 
They said, oh, you got to play. So I went, oh, fuck. <laughs> I said, this is in the April. I said, oh, this is not, and the marathon was October the yeah. 3rd, I think it was. I went, fucking, what have I doing here? Anyway, so I said, I'll, I'll do it then. But I never started training till Hugh rang the bell because I didn't want to tempt fate. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I started ringing the bell. He rang the bell and he came out of that. I never did sponsorship until, um, or said about it, until um, Hugh passed. But I said to him in hospital, oh, Hugh, he was so proud of me doing the marathon. He used mm. to kind of like, go, Daddy, go start running now. And he was telling every nurse and every doctor, he'd make, Daddy's running yeah. another marathon. Mm. And this was like the August time. And then I remember 27th of August, I went out running. I think it was about 30K got up to training. And my wife brought him out in the car to cheer me on. And he was in the back seat pumping his fist saying, go, Daddy, yeah. and his little ball mm. dead. And I was like, right, okay, we're doing it for you. And then when I said to my wife, do you know what? I've got to do the marathon. And when he was in hospital about the 10th of September, I said, I've got to do the marathon in four weeks. What am I going to do? He said, go and run it. Hugh said, go and run it, daddy. Go and run it. I said, all right. He goes, yeah, start running now. Because this is when the old time that he was awake, he's in a, in a coma most of the time. I said, go and wait, run it. I said, all right then. So I said to my wife after, she says, what are you going to do about marathon? I said, I'm going to run it. She went, you're mad. You're going to kill yourself. I said, no, I'm going to run it. I said, I've just seen someone go through the worst thing you could ever imagine. Who did? Yeah. I said, I'm going to mm. run it. What else can I... What, what more motivation what, do you what, need? What, what else, it? Yeah. What's the worst that can happen to me? Worst that can happen to me is I end up in the same six foot area that Hugh is. Mm. I said, and I'll, I'll see it. I said, I don't, I don't understand what I'm going to run it. I don't care. He's suffered more in that two weeks than I've ever seen anyone suffer in my life. Yeah. I said, so me running six hours and possibly have an heart attack, I don't really care. Yeah. So yeah, I'm going to yeah. do it anyway. So we, I actually said, I'm going to do it. I think I launched it on the Americans on the 3rd of October. And I think I launched, we let everyone know we kept it quiet about Hugh passing for about 10 days. We just wanted to deal with it ourselves first. Yeah. And then I think on the 27th of September, I said, we put out a Facebook message to say, look, Hugh's passed away. Um, and then I'm going to run the marathon for um, Alice's Ark, which is a charity that looked after rhabdomyosarcoma sarcoma that Hugh had. And I think we raised £46,000 in the space of like two weeks. That's amazing, yeah. It was mega. And mm. then, so I ran it. And then we buried Hugh on the Tuesday and I put the um, the London medal around Hugh's neck to bury him in the middle. Oh, oh. So it was almost bittersweet. I did it for him and he, he was buried in the middle. So I never got a medal. But um, So I'm going to do it. So I say I'm doing it. That was my main thing after to get me through was to give a focus. Yeah. yeah. And I think you need it, don't you? Oh, I got me. I, I you I can quietly you lay in bed. Yeah. Feel sorry for and yourself. That, yeah. But everyone said, you're mad doing that. I said, no. No, no. What no. else? Would I, what would I, he would have wanted me to go and run it. So. Sort of like mini therapy, isn't it? It's yeah, sort of like and get, it keeps you going, gives you a purpose. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, definitely. And um, oh, it's amazing. I used to listen to podcasts and stuff, and I, during that time running, I listened to a podcast from um, Stephen Bartlett with Mo Gowdert about pursuit of happiness. Like mm-hmm. He wrote a book. Mo Gowdert unfortunately lost his son um, with a surgical procedure that went wrong. But Mo Gowdert said, and it's only one of these bite-sized things that Stephen Bartlett does on the Diary CEO, and he just said. Uh, my son died, but I had two choices. I could either carry on and, and be strong or do nothing, but neither were going to bring him home. And yeah, yeah I, I think yeah. I saw one of your um, Instagram posts where you were saying something yeah, similar. But yeah, do? but what, what a way to look at it, really. Yeah, definitely. Like, so I don't know about you guys, but I was of the view, like, I know what my son would have wanted me to do. Yeah. There's no way you would want me to sit and be miserable. No. How we looked at it, and I see it on yours as well, I'll... Now I just want to make his legacy well known 100%. across any. I want everyone to know like about Geezy's grief. No, David Chisholm was the same as you. You yeah. want everyone to know who he was, didn't you? Yeah. Well, to be fair, there's people in this country now. Like we've been in the papers and mails and everything like that, and uh, no one would have known as many people would have known about Hugh as they do now. Yeah. He was alive. Mm. So that was the one thing that we wanted to do was make sure everyone knew about him. But 
I don't know, but it was for the make sure that they know that this legacy lives on. And like, yeah. so we, you're doing this now, mm-hmm. and this this is like it keeps you mentally stable as well, knowing you're doing your bit for him. But you probably it's because of the routine that you have, mm. and that's mm. the big thing about what yeah. we're talking about grief and getting this routine and structure. Yeah, is to keep yourself going day to day in short term routines. Yeah, so knowing that you've got podcasts to do. Yeah, yeah, you're planning and you know that to next week you've got to do something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. that gives you a focus every week. Mm. The way I look at it as well, like I think like my dad, like you looking down, I'd be so proud, like oh, yeah. looking back at some of the things we've and done, not blowing you. our own trumpet, but just like. I, I know my old man would be smiling from ear yeah. to ear. Do you know what I mean? Seeing well, I us think do I texted that. I said, well, I yeah, said yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, it would be because it's hard. And I say, what you there's a couple of types of people that you can get after it. You can lock yourself away yeah. and hide away, not face it, or you can do what we're doing and say, this has happened. We're going to deal with it. Try and make it as positive. And what as are, you how can. are we going to deal with it? We're going to deal with it with a smile on our face and say, yeah. right, because the, the, ultimately, I tell you, it was something, something. Darren Barker, like not. He was, he's a mate of mine. He's the champion boxer, world champion boxer. Right. And um, before he was made world champion, his brother died. Uh, and I spoke to Darren after, he texted me after Hugh passed away. He said, oh, right, thinking of you, mate, and stuff like that. And we had a chat and he said, make sure you live a bloody good life because they didn't get the chance to do it. Yeah. And I mm. thought, yeah, that's right. That's a, that's a good f- and I remember yeah. that. Yeah. And he, he probably doesn't remember saying it to me, but he said to me, make sure you live a good life because they never got the chance to do so. Yeah, it's a good way of yeah. looking at it. And that's why honest. I said, right, we've got the opportunity now mm-hmm. to do something. Make a difference, yeah. And also, I don't know about you, but I saw people in that hospital, outside the hospital, when Hugh was in bed on every drip you can imagine, every wire, and there was grown-ups, mid-40s, 50s, 60s, outside smoking, outside of an oncology ward, and you've been given a second chance. Mm. I think, what a waste. Mm, you've been yeah. given a chance. You sat here smoking. And my five-year-old sit you in bed dying. Yeah. And I think, what what chance is that? You've got to get up and you've got a chance to do something different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm not one for, um, I don't know about you, I don't stay in the past. Like Hugh's past now. And I understand it's happened and it's, mm-hmm. it's awful what's happened. But we've got to look forward and... Yeah. By looking forward, you we're doing the charity. E- yeah, you could quite easily stay in the past, though. Yeah. And no one would blame you because but you got, you've you've still got a loving family. Exactly. You've got two you've other got, boys that you've got. You've look- got a life to live. Yeah. You've got a lot. And you got and a that, life. like we've said before, they wouldn't want you being in your bed, curled up, doing nothing. No and- chance. I know what you say to me. Get up. Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. Get up, yeah, get yeah, moving. Yeah. Get moved. Dad. Come on, Daddy. Keep did going. You, yeah. Did you feel bad for doing stuff afterwards? Like- Do you know, I, I had this conversation with someone the other day about it. Um, your someone said something to me after, but at the funeral time, I don't know about you, is that you're going to find that after I think the vicar said it to me actually, um, uh, Jenny, she said to me, you're going to find that for a week now, everyone's going to be texting you, and then it's going to go quiet. Yeah, yeah. And then your world has stopped spinning, and it's going to stop spinning for a few months. But everyone else is. But everyone else is going to get back on that horse and start like, riding yeah. around. You're and you don't want bubble. that, do you? When you hear that, you're like, oh, I don't want that. And it's almost like you know. If you're that way inclined, it's almost like you like the attention. I it makes like the, you feel I, like I didn't that, like the attention, yeah. but I felt loved. Yeah. And also I found that people that I would have thought that would have stepped up didn't. 
Mm. And people that are, I didn't, didn't expect, never expected to step, actually step forward. They yeah, actually become set, really good friends that. with me now. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I was a bit shocked by that. Surprised you? Yeah, 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 yeah. And people that I thought would have been there weren't there, and people that I thought no chance actually stepped up and sent me messages of support. And I thought, oh, okay, right, there you go. Yeah. These are true test of someone's character. I read yeah. a Rio Ferdinand's book, and he said after the funeral, no, no one, yeah, everyone's going to go back to their normal life, yeah. and you're in this bubble. It's like as if they've forgotten about it and before well, you know it. That's can think about. Yeah, and then when someone says, for example, like Mother's Day, like yesterday, mm-hmm. Christmas Day, I'll think of you today. Mate, it's every day. Mm. Yeah. I said, this is every day. Yeah. This ain't tomorrow. This mm. ain't yesterday. This is every day. You can have Mother's Day all you want. All it is is just it's, it enhances it. Yeah. Or Father's yeah. Day. It's every yeah. day. Because you're seeing everyone else celebrating. Yeah. And that, that, is, right. that is such a good way to like... Um, you don't just grieve more it. on that certain day. You grieve every day. Yeah. yeah. And I get text messages and I, I'm really thankful for the text messages that send through that know that you're in their thoughts. But it's like, yes, yeah, every day. Yeah. I struggle. Not mm. a struggle, but every day is on my mind. Just one day doesn't make a difference. Yeah. And Christmas is one of those days. It's a lead up to Christmas I don't like. Yeah. But I love it because of the children. And mm-hmm. I know Hugh yeah. love Christmas. Yeah. So you go make the best for him yeah. sort of thing. And, yeah. and it's all put pressure on families being together. Well, what about those families that can't be together? And mm. that's a lot of people. So mm. it makes people feel bad about it. Yeah. But that's the thing that, so she said that to me about um, the world stopped spinning. And that's the, was one of the hardest things to um, get your head around. And it's true. The world does stop spinning. And then uh, I found that, and then um, it's, it's difficult. But I always said it had this frame of mind that, all right, we get up and we carry on, we do it. And I got myself yeah. back into work quickly. I wasn't going to hide away. Got to stretch yourself. Yeah, you? and I, I think, did as well. Yeah, with, with after my dad, I got back. At, yeah, you was pretty quick. As and people well, were like you know? cautious about how they speak. You know? mm. I'm like, listen, just talk to me normally. Yeah, I still if find I, it now. I if I want to talk about it, I talk about it. Mm. Yeah, but leave it on my terms. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then, but because I work in an environment, there's lots of members, mm. and they all want to come up and say, "I'm sorry to hear about." Yeah, and I'd go to a go to. Yeah, fine. Thank, yeah, not your fault. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You didn't do anything to him. I said, "Oh, no worries. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's fine." And but and also because I don't know about you, but I'm six, 17 months after Hugh passed away, people seem to forget. And mm. as and I have no problems with them forgetting of what we went through because that's life. You move yeah, on. Yeah. And I can't be resentful. You won't ever forget, no. That's no, no, matters. but no one forgets anyone that they lose. Mm. My mum still remembers her dad and he died yeah. 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it, she still regret like, and then you get resentful about things and stuff, but you can't do anything about it. No. And what's, mm, what's no. staying in the past going to do? Yeah. Do you, uh, that's really it's true. Yeah. a silly question, but, Know when you have the bad days, how do you sort of snap out of it? And- uh, just think, well, why am I having a bad day? So I gave up drink. I haven't drunk for three years. Really? Yeah. On purpose. I gave up in COVID, uh, the first lockdown. I said, I'm, I'm just not going to stay in the house with two kids and a wife drinking. And my mm-hmm. mates were doing it. They got, everyone got into these craft beers or gins, whatever. It yeah. wasn't my cup of tea. I thought I'm going to stay healthy. Uh, and then uh, people can go down a pub. I said, I ain't going to sit in a pub full of six people. I'm going to do that. Mm. I said, I'm going to go and mingle about and have a dance or whatever mm-hmm. it is. If I want to be in a pub standing. Um, so I never went down a pub then. And that was just not because of any other thing other than the fact I didn't want to go down a pub and get COVID at the time because no one knew about it. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. And then Hugh got diagnosed in October. And then um, he got diagnosed. And then I couldn't drink because we needed to be on call because we needed to take him to hospital within 30 minutes if he got an infection. Mm. So I couldn't drink. And then when he died... I thought, do you know what? I'm going to manage my mental health. Don't drink. 
So I, I, I was aware that the fact it wasn't the drinking that worried me, it was the day after. Yeah. So I wanted to manage my own situation. Mentally. Yeah. Mentally. Like, you know, if you've been on the piss... You're you going to struggle. Yeah. Don't and, put yourself in that and, situation. And, and quite yeah. easy, you could have turned to drink and gone... 100%. Yeah. And, then, and, and I don't want to be vulnerable in the house. My wife was pregnant uh, and my other son was there. And, you know, you, you get low on drink and it's not your true self. It's mm. uh, you're tired because you don't get the right sleep. Mm-hmm. And it's not fair and i just thought you know also i need to be look after myself yeah so it was almost like self-love after that um so i stopped drinking and then uh yeah well, i can't remember the question what was i saying i remember you saying uh out there when we were speaking about you getting into your um therapy yeah and like you were saying like whenever you have like a, a negative sort of, or anything brings you back now like you have a little think thought to yourself you have a little nod and then it takes you back to that yeah. positive so memory i said well i went straight into therapy after tried to reach out to charities and they all told me it's a three month wait, but I needed it there and then. So I was fortunate. I went into like a, like a trauma clinic when I had, didn't not an inpatient, but just had one hour a week. I went to see two different ones. I went to see a gentleman in London. I used to get a train every morning yeah. once a week, eight o'clock in the morning to go and see him. And then I'd see a lady via zoom once a week, both different ends of the spectrum with therapy. One, I like talking to the, the gentleman because he talked to me in a sort of a candid male way. Sort of like just shut the fuck up, yeah. sort of thing. Get on with yeah. it. Like, I remember asking him a question. Oh, I'm worried about my other child getting. He went, "Hold your nerve." I was like, "Okay," mm-hmm. but you know, like he needed to say it to me, and yeah. I liked that rawness of it all. Yeah, and he was quite good. And he talked to me about that's like, why it's maybe quite good to have different like yeah, aspects look, of it because yeah. other obviously other people might respond better to another way 100%. and that, but you you don't know until you get in there and, and I, do I, it. I wanted to test both of them out, and actually I liked, but they both had different things to it. Qualities, and yeah. The lady that I saw, she was more of cognitive behavioural therapy, so she was trying to change my mindset. So when I used to talk to the male one about PTSD and triggers, he just like say, "Well, that's part of it." It's like, okay, that's not really helping, but yeah, he talked to me about. The, the the factual things like putting it into like yeah it's terrible it's the biggest killer things like that but that's what happened and it's happened and this is how you deal with it and what's more around the situation talk about your life around it mm. so how can you deal with things around it? and like talking to things about like how you're dealing with it how you're dealing with your wife and things like that like more around the subjects mm-hmm. but that helps come back to the subject because it gives you a way of clearing your head around yeah, it. Yeah, you're talking, aren't you? That's yeah, the main and then thing. this lady talked about cognitive behavioural therapy and sort of meditation and trauma therapy, which really helped me because I was lost at that point and what I'm going to do because I almost crashed the car about three times. I remember sitting there and the, like PTSD, if everyone's ever suffered with it, it's, it's like a, a cinema reel in your head that keeps going off right. and sort of full of negative reels and you can get triggered from a song, a smell, a sound, uh, like being in the car. For example, I was in the car and a song come on. I remember it now driving around. I must crashed. I blanked out, not blanked out, but like went into a daze. Yeah. That's, All your concentration was on that. I, yeah. I was back in the hospital again, like mm. in the last few hours of Hugh's life. And it was, it was reeling through my head now, like not now, but back then I was like, and I almost, I almost drove the car into a tree. Like, fuck, I need to do something. Mm. So I found this, they, they assessed your need and she took down and she actually really sort of, so when someone says to me, um, "Does therapy work?" I said, "We well, are. I'm still alive." Mm. That's how. That's how. Like it helped me. Yeah. I was never suicidal. Never mm. like, to be like that. But you know, in a candid way, I was like, "Yeah, well, I'm still here." Yeah. So yeah. that shows that it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she helped me deal with the triggers that I was having. So 
as I said to you out, we spoke before, like I have this trigger of seeing Hugh lying in a, like, well, like towards the end of his life, or at the end of his life, lying there. And I couldn't deal with that image. It's one of those images that will never leave me. It's still, I can, it's in my head now. So I'll, I'll flash it up again in my head. But now I know that I can just spill it back in the back of my head and it, it's gone. Yeah. Um, and there are days where you want to delve into that dark side. Yeah. Head. So sometimes you want see to see it go, more often, sort of thing. Yeah. So you, sometimes when you're feeling like you need to have a cry, right? Mm. Uh, as a bloke, I fully admit. I, sometimes mm-hmm. I put a song on, I feel a bit shitty. I might put a song on that reminds me of Hugh in the car, and it'll make me tear up. Most nearly every day. Oh, I'm, mate, I'm, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. No, no. But I yeah. listen to a song, and I'll get someone might say a lyric. What's that song? The Kate Bush song from that Strangest Things. What's it called? That strange oh. on that film. But she yeah. said, oh, basically, the song's about I'd swap positions with you. I'll be in your place. I'll take your place. Mm. And that, mate, I was listening to that the other day. I never listened to the lyrics before. And you start, it's like, wow, yeah. And I, that welled me up. And I thought, but sometimes it's good to do that. Yeah. But it's a way, you, if you can get back out of it. Because mm-hmm. um, you quite easily stay in it, couldn't you? Yeah, you quite easy. And uh, so when we were going, when I was going through therapy, I'm quite good at creating analogies and sort of metaphors of things. And I said to the way, we come up with this idea that uh, the grief was like uh, like a river. And either side is two areas. So one side is the grief that I feel for missing Hugh, and the other side is my normal life. So for 38 years of my life, I've been on this side of the river. And all of a sudden, I've been thrown violently over to the other side of this river. And the therapy is the brickwork to create a bridge to both. And that's what therapy does. That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, Yeah. so it's like um, it's always going... So I've always got these both sides that I can walk between. Mm-hmm. But as I found, I always said to write session one, we're starting to build the foundations of this bridge. And I said that, so we've built and built. And built. And I think I must have seen, I've only stopped, not stopped, I purposely stopped going about a month ago, actually, just to try and wee myself off it, to mm. get myself, because I was in a place and mm-hmm. I just found like I wasn't getting anything out of that session at the time. And I've got, I was all right. Um, but it was like building that bridge. So when that bridge is built, like some days you might want to jump back over to that side. But the bridge is built. The bridge is built and I've got the bridge built there and it's a bit of maintenance, you know, now and then like I feel bad and okay. And there's sometimes like at Christmas, I said to him, what, I need to see her again. Mm. I need to, I'm having a bit of a bad day. Yeah. I'm having a bit of like trouble, not PTSD or anything, trouble dealing with it and uh, I need to speak to her again. So I just, we get on and she'd help me understand why I was feeling like that. Yeah. And there might be some issues that I have like anxiety and how I would deal with that. And she mm. was excellent. And then, and she was basically like, for example, one of the things that I used to say, she was like, um, say, write a letter that you'd like to say to Hugh and then go and set it on fire. Yeah. I was like, okay. Or put it in a river and let it float away. Mm. So, like, okay. So I did that. I, I wrote a letter. What would you say to Hugh? If you could speak to Hugh one more time, what would you say to him? So I write a letter out. I, I'm sorry, mate. Sorry you had to go through this. Sorry you're on your own now. Uh, but you know, you've got my my my, my grandmother and my, yeah, your, my, you're on your own. We'll be up there. One day I'll see you again and stuff like, like stuff like that. I'm sorry that I had to go through it. Sorry that I wasn't, I couldn't swap like stuff like that. And then you set it on fire, and it's almost like the 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 analogy that set it up the fire was like, okay, so you've got that out of you. Yeah. So sort mm-hmm. of techniques I had like that. Yeah. Um, no, that's good. A lot. A lot. Little things that I I do. Uh, one of the biggest things I found like with the therapy was creating routine and structure for myself. Yeah. It's like I had to have a routine. I struggle weekends. Mm. Uh, like you guys asked me to come on a Saturday today is perfect. Right. Because I have a something to look forward to. Yeah. yeah. So I have um, a structure. So I go to gym in the morning. I know like Monday to Friday, I'm dropping Rafe off at school. 
I'm going to the gym. Yeah, then I'm I going to work. Saying, yeah. Then I've got to pick him up at half four. I'm going home, I'm having dinner. And then I would do bedtime. And then the wife and I would sit down for Nothing's two, three hours. Nothing's going to throw you off that routine. No, but um, you know, like it's like that routine, the structure. Yeah, yeah. And then that's what I, we needed um, to help me. That's just, that's my way of dealing with it. Mm. And then, um, then we, like I said, the charity was my um, way out of grief. Yeah, that's what mm-hmm. we really, 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 really focused. What on. gave you the idea to do that? Uh, charities are generally formed because someone's had a bad experience or feels that something could be done more. Yeah, and we felt we had a bad experience, not a bad experience. Um, Hugh possibly would have died of this cancer anyway, um, but we felt like we were always going to do. Even when uh, Hugh was being treated, I wanted to do something to raise money for the hospital yeah. because I see how underfunded they were mm. and how brilliant the nurses were. Yeah. And it wasn't fair to them to be like as it was. And I thought, right, we need to do something. And uh, it's going to be called Hughes uh, for Hugh or something, the charity at the start was going to be called. And then when he came out of it, like I said, when we went through it all, the dust settled after the marathon, my wife and I said, well, what are we going to do? And she went, I'm not sure I'm in a position to do anything right now. Um, She fell pregnant quite quickly after Hugh passed away. So she went through all grief pregnant, which was like, I don't know how she'd done it. Nine months of being sick and stuff like that. Yeah, of course. She was a trooper. Um, but we needed to do so. We set it up in March. So I'm actually a year old now, the charity. So it's a year ago we set it up. Um, and You've done some big things with oh, it already, haven't you? To be fair, where we, I, I look back last night and where we were uh, a year ago was just an idea. And so we wanted, so to summarize the charity in a nutshell, when we went through it, for example, when we were told that Hugh was going to die, um, we come out of the room. The work, the hospital, she was in bed in another room with a play nurse with him. My wife and I had the meeting with him and we came out, turned left, and we sat by the vending machine on our own. And I went, Where's the, where is someone coming outside and speaking to us to help us yeah. and telling us what's going to happen? And I thought, That's bad. And then another thing happened is that when she was going through treatment, like you say, we talked about it. So I couldn't talk to anyone about it. No one understood it. Mm. So I was in Sainsbury's one day in Hartford and in the car park and Hugh's old teacher was there, Mrs. Greer. And my go-to reaction was, oh, everyone, I've heard about you. I'm really sorry and stuff like that. I was like, right, don't worry. You didn't give it to him. And I'll get off. He's on track. That would be my go-to saying. Anyway, as I turned my back after saying it, she went, no, my daughter had it. My daughter had cancer. I can, I'm, I know exactly what you're going through. Really? I went, well, okay. So I ended up walking for about an hour and a half around the car park with her just chatting to her about it. She understood the relentlessness of it. She understood the pressure of it, everything like that. And I thought, I said to her at home, come to my wife. I said, you know what? I feel like I've got a weight off my shoulders. I've just spoken to someone who understood completely what I was going through and mm. what you're going through. And it's very difficult at hospital because everyone was at a different stage of their treatment. You didn't want anyone to talk to them in the hospital because yeah. they tell you something else and everything was so different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I said to my wife, right, we need to make sure we'll get all these people together to talk, these parents. So when you go to any club, to lose weight, Slimming World, Weight Watchers, Alcoholics Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous, you're with peers going through like things. Mm. So they're all people doing the same journey as you and they've all got the same experiences but you learn from their experiences and you talk about it from experience, what we're doing now yeah. through grief. Yeah, we're yeah, talking yeah. about our sharing our experiences. Professionals who have no experience can't share that with you. Mm. And as someone found out from the charity didn't have children. Like, what? Okay. So we wanted to connect all these people together. Didn't want to do it on Facebook because the idea was we come off Facebook. Didn't want to do it via Google. Google's full of misinformation. You could type in the world is flat. It come up with 200,000 pages that the world is flat. Yeah. Not right. So yeah. why would you type in your child's diagnosis on Google when you can type in anything? 
you could type in aliens living on Earth and you'll come up with something. So we need a private place. And also in the hospital, they're giving you all this information, but you're not really looked after as a parent. They're not telling you the benefits of sleep. Mm. We know the benefits of sleep now has a massive impact on your mental and physical health. Yeah. At hospital, I did a sports science degree, so I sort of kind of know about that. But even it's hard to put into practice. So, and you've got parents in there that don't sleep. And well, they say 25% of parents who are looking after a sick child would fall under the banner of acute sleep deprivation. Mm. So they, you only get the like average of 4.6 hours sleep in a hospital setting when you're looking after a child. And I think they said the average lack of sleep is 73 minutes they're losing a night by looking right. after a child. So it has a massive impact on your life. But it's this information that no one knows about and also like how to eat properly, how to look after yourself. Yeah. And as I said, there's, there's doctors and nurses walking around the hostel that know this stuff, but they don't ask the parents, how are you eating? Yeah. How are you sleeping? And also in the hospital, there wasn't food provided for us that would fill us up nutritionally. Yeah. So I'm six foot one, 110 kilos, a slice of toast with jam on it. Is it going to work for me in the morning? Yeah. You know? And the kids on chemo, they like, you want to feed them anything you want. So, uh, the biggest expenditure of a parent in hospital is food. So we lived off Deliveroo, like 200 pound a week I'd spend in there, mm. like 50 quid, and all the minimum of 20 pound, they put delivery charge in it. And for Hugh, I'd get him to eat as much as he could to put weight on, to yeah. keep him strong. Mm. So you'd buy, the M&S shop there was there, and I was spending 30 quid a day, daddy, I fancy jam donut. Right, mate, I'll get you a jam donut. Oh, I don't like that jam. Oh, I'll get you another jam donut. So you'd be going in M&S every five minutes, buying, mm. I want jelly beans. Right, I'll get you jelly beans, Hugh. So you'd be doing that. So you're spending mm. loads of money on it, but there's nothing there for the parents. So when you're looking for food to keep you going, there wasn't that. So I thought there's so many elements to it. I was saying to my dad as I come out of hospital, there's no food for us, dad. There's no there's no money for parents. I mean, I was fortunate uh, during co- during the time that work was finished anyway because of furlough and COVID. Um, so we were supported from my family business, but there's parents that are with no money. Mm. So there's no support from them, yet they're expected to buy food mm. every day, travel to hospital and things like that. Yeah. So I thought, right, we need to be that voice of the parents and also just we need to do something for the parents. So um, when they're giving you information in hospital as well, it's like pamphlets and leaflets and things. I went, oh my God, you know, I used to listen to podcasts a lot. Got me through. I used to listen to some LBC ones and Headspace and stuff to help me sleep. And uh, someone gives you a book to read. I said to someone, you give me this book. It's like reading at 40,000 feet in severe turbulence. Yeah. I ain't going to read that. No, no, I said, my no. son's like, Going to the toilet every five minutes. Yeah, and so many people relate to that as well. I, like, I ain't, ain't going to read that. I'm stressed. The worst thing you can do, I, I know it sounds different. For me, the worst thing I could do is read a book when I'm stressed. Yeah. Can't concentrate. No, exactly. Yeah. I'm like 100 miles an hour. If I'm stressed, I want to walk around the house yeah. or go and eat. Mm. And that was the thing at the time. That, so, so, right. But what I could do is listen to podcasts for 10 minutes or watch yeah. a video on my phone. Mm. So I said to my wife, right, this all needs to be on your phone. This needs to be in your face and your ears watching. So, what we, we set about, we created, actually got lucky, we created the first, UK's first exclusive social media platform for parents of children with cancer. So we, the children's cancer platform we created and we formed a charity called It's Never You, purposely set out to support the parents. So we set out and then um, when you go initially with a charity, people are like, yeah, yeah, all right, whatever, don't take me for real. But then, yeah, and then we sort imagine, of yeah. went, right, well, no, we're not going to go away from this. We're doing this. And we mm. raised quite a lot of money actually in the first year give us the chance to put things where we wanted to be. So we've got yeah. this platform. We've got to introduce this lovely man, Jack, Dr. Jack Barcham, who's a head consultant, hematologist at Great Ormond Street. So he gave us the time to speak to us. And actually, we, he's one of our trustees now, the charity. He put us into Great Ormond Street. So all of a sudden, we went into Great Ormond Street. We're in every ward 
and every dorm, actually every room in Great Ormond Street is a poster of our charity on there to support the parents. We're in every shared care folder in Great Ormond Street. We're in Addingbrooks, where Hugh was, we're in Birmingham, all around the country now. That's unreal, mate. Well yeah, done. Yeah, so we did, and then we got out, we did it all, we're supporting the parents. Um, and yeah, so that, that got us through the, the real hard bit of grief. So mm. it kept my mind occupied. Mm. Yeah. It gives and you it, a it's same thing. It's a bit more relatable as well. Like you've been through it. So the parents. Yeah, and it's, um, well, they say people find it easier to deal with things when they've been through it. Yeah. So I put myself in them shoes. Mm. And I, I think it's a bit more authentic, the charity, because it's not someone running that's a career CEO. It's someone that's actually, you know what? I've been there. I've been through the rough side of it. Yeah. I completely understand what yeah. you're going through. I'm here I, to help you. I know I'm exactly to... what you're going to be, what you need. I know exactly what's the shortcomings. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm going to make help. this as like the, the best way possible, isn't it? Yeah, Even exactly. though it's not, it's not a great, obviously it's horrible, but you're going to give them every help yeah, that you and can. And so like we're now making inroads. So one of my things that I set out to do was to change the way that the government, um, looks after sick parents of sick children. So I said to you, they don't get supported financially. There's yeah. nothing for them. Something that I never thought about and no one ever thinks about really that you'd think you'd think a parent of a child who's ill in hospital, not just cancer, but chronic illness, mm. would be supported financially, but they're not. Really? So there's that's... no support for a parent. Mm. When a you've got child. enough stress as it yeah. is, isn't it? So like, that's the last thing you want to think about, isn't it? Like and that, I think yeah. one of these, we went and actually Sir Oliver Held, who is a, a long-standing MP in the Conservative Party, uh, who is our local MP in East Hearts, when I approached him, he actually said, right, I'm going to take you into the Minister of Health in, in, the, hosp- in the House of Commons. I was like, okay. So we went yeah. and met them. I sat in the House of Commons with him and he introduced me and he was brilliant. And we sat there and they listened to me and they sent me a letter back. And now um, how it's developed on that side is actually sat down with the heads of the uh, Cambridge University Hospital Trust, where he was in Annie Brooks, and actually they listened to what I had to say and actually they're putting into practice what we're working together with them now to change what parents are doing now. Oh, that's amazing, um, mate. It's amazing, so that it's, is. Um, to say that we're making an impact, we're making an impact now, and um, in such a little time as yeah, well. Yeah, wait a year, and we've 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 done some phenomenal things, and and continue to do some great things. And what's nice to hear is that we get text messages. And I'll put my mobile phone number actually on the the charity website, um, which has got to come off. So. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, we get text messages from. We sent Mother's Day gifts out to every mother in the hospitals, the free hospitals in the UK. Oh, so nice they, they all had a package. Or Mother's Day, which we sent. What to a nice thing to do! Yeah. And they were sending me text messages like, "What an amazing thing! My child's got this condition, and you've just made my day better." Mm. I think if that was me in there, I'd like to receive that. My yeah. wife said she'd like to receive that, so yeah. if we could put smile. It's on, really thoughtful, that. Yeah, really thoughtful. and I said to at the time when I carried Hugh's coffin in that in the uh, the church, I said, "If there's one dad out there that I can change the course of, so mm. they don't have to do this, or they can deal with this better, then the whole thing." Like Hugh's passing wasn't in vain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what I said at the time. It's a nice way to look at it, mate. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so the idea was that with the charity and what you guys are doing with this podcast and your guys, the geezers and grief stuff, is if you can change the outlook of one person. You've done your job. And that Mo Gowder, for example, I reached out to him and he messaged me back, which was he didn't have to. And I said, you've changed my outlook and you've helped me. So his his goal of what he did was just make 10 million people happy after his son died. Mm. Well, you've changed the outlook and course of one man yeah. who's now changing yeah. the outlook of different parents. So that was yeah, my, yeah, yeah. so he made a difference. And also it was nice to have um, uh, a person to look up to or look for um, who's gone through it and got through the other side of it. 
Yeah. So the purpose of what your guys are doing, which I think is fantastic, is like someone could be in a position where they're struggling with grief. Mm. I think, fuck, what do I do now? Oh, and it, hang on, I've got guys on here that have dealt with it. I can get through it. Yeah, yeah. we ain't got all the answers, but there's no answers to it. Nah, but it's, you never know. You're going to take something that is relatable and go like, oh, actually, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I can relate to that. So but, and and but like I say, if someone says to me, I'm going to go and give therapy a try, go and do it. Honestly, yeah. got nothing to lose. Do you know what I was very up to, like? I was very like on the fence about therapy, and then I think we spoke to one of our um, guests on here, and he, he again couldn't recommend it enough and then i give it a go from that and uh yeah like, I, I thought it was really good it's a, helped it a was lot. a game changer for me in a sense that really helped me put me on a level playing field yeah and then um but there's other things that i do and continue to do to keep myself going whereas then i always i went and got back into the gym i make sure i work out three four times a week yeah that helps massively, massively as well like doesn't it de-stressing yeah you and, and giving free therapy like, like it's i definitely. watched uh, the jonah hill documentary on netflix so oh, he right. has um a therapist as well so he interviews the therapist and the therapist goes through it's what you eat how much sleep exercise 100%. he's saying it's the basics in it but it's, it's such, such a bad yeah. well that's the thing that what the charity was set up to do was to make that the important thing so we've got the, the elixirs that we call it of our charity so uh, rest and recovery which includes your sleep yeah you've got movement which is exercise mobility keeping active nutrition which is what you put into your body you get out of your body yeah so you what you get out of your body what you put into it it's your hydration, keeping hydrated, and also your mind, how you deal with things, and your interaction with your peers. So all those things make up how you're reacting yeah. to the outside world. So if you can change or manipulate any of those things, and all of that is in your hands. Yeah. So all of that is in your you can do that. You can go to you can sleep better, that you can change your sleep hygiene patterns, so you can change the way you sleep, the way you sleep, how you get to sleep. Mm. You can change the way that your mind works by CBT therapy. Mm-hmm. You can join a gym, even go for a walk, get your 10,000 steps yeah. in a day. You can go and make sure that you recover more. Yoga, meditation, mindfulness, all these things have such major impact on mental health. Yeah. But I think they're also underlooked and not given enough uh, credit to yeah, definitely, within yeah. the statutory authorities like yeah. the NHS. If they said to someone, right, um, and this is what we found, if someone said after Hugh died, right, these are your five things that are going to help you get through this. And this is, we go back to teaching them at school, the basics of it was, as the kids are older, eat well. Right, okay, don't drink. I think it's a massive thing. Don't drink. Don't make yourself vulnerable. Mm. Uh, don't take drugs. It's going to make yourself even more crazy what you're going through or it can help. Uh, make sure that you manage um, your exercise. Give yourself a target. Like marathons for me, give myself a fitness target. Yeah. So I'm, maybe mm-hmm. I'm stupid enough doing them, but I love them. With, I'm trying to do another one in a month's time. Yeah. I just think there's some, they're just, they, you they can put keep your mind structure. To it. I know that I've got to do it. And then what worries me is after that, well, we did that football match. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That uh, looks amazing, mate. It's it was like, amazing. What's next? Yeah, it was much. like, almost like that, um, uh, it's like that golden, they call it gold medal syndrome. It's like you get the gold medal. And, and then what do you do next? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what I said to my wife. I said, after the football match, it spent two months like getting it sorted, like the stress of it. I loved it. It was stressful, but it kept me going every day. Yeah. Like, Today I've got to do this. And what am I doing next? Mm. And that's what that worried me that low point, yeah. Because yeah. all of a sudden, I'm like, Well, I've got You're nothing not to do. Tyson Fury said the same thing, didn't he? When he became world champion, he was like, Well, what's next now? Like, I've got everything, I've got like, exactly. but what's he got to do? He's got to go box, yeah, mm. keep yourself trying, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's a thing like Robbie Williams, he played Nedworth, the pinnacle of his career, and then what? Then he sort of went off the rails a bit, yeah, because he'd done what he wanted to achieve in life, yeah. You've always got to have something, so yeah, it's almost better to be aspirational to set yourself, yeah. 
Um, what's that Matthew McConaughey gave a speech, didn't he? Yeah. He said it in the Oscars or something. He said, every year I say where I want to be. Yeah. Oh, that's an unreal said, speech. But I said that is, it yeah. always further. So I always set in, in advance where I want to be. I'm, yeah, I'm setting yeah, the goals yeah. a bit further. So I'll never achieve what I want to be. Yeah, what is that quote? It was like, are you where you want to be? Um, I asked Matthew. Yeah. Last year's Matthew. He goes, Matthew, ask me yeah. in 10 years. Yeah. And I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. in that case, what's next for the charity? What's, what's the next um, goal? So uh, we, well, we're at a point now where we're working with the hospitals. Um, we're working with a lot of parents. We want to make sure that parents know that we're here. We understand also from perspective um, what we're doing is that we want to, by the end of this year, we're going to open up what we're doing to all parents of um, children with chronic illnesses. So children's cancer, obviously close to our hearts, what happened to Hugh. But we also understand that in a hospital, for example, that's one ward. There's 23 other wards of parents struggling. So we know that those parents are struggling even more because uh, children's cancer is the number one killer of children apart from road traffic accidents. So that charity, they're supported more than ever. But there are also rare conditions that other children get that are not so supported through charities. So we want to support those parents. So we will look, we're trying to think of a way how we can cover all the parents. Um, and we've got some other things. Well, we've obviously, we're putting procedures into place, trying to, into hospitals so they can educate the parents a bit more about <coughs> these five things that we say the most important things that they need to do because we yeah. think that can manage them better and then um, it's just like keeping trying to get money and donations coming in because charity only runs on donations mm -hmm, my wife yeah. and I don't take any money out of it mm. it's a full time 24 hours job so it's her and I that run it and at the moment it's two of us providing all this stuff to the parents and uh, like I say, the feedback we get is like so well needed. And obviously we know because we went through it, it is needed. But yeah, we've got some, like I say, I'm doing a marathon, trying to raise some funds. There's a big yeah. thing. Where can doing. they find the donation page? Uh, that's like on that. our, if you go onto our, our Instagram, mm -hmm. it's dot never you charity. It's all on there. You'll see. Lovely. Yeah. We're uh, help promote it as much as oh, we can, mate. Yeah. Obviously we haven't got a massive following, but <laughs> no, any, no, anything no, else, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. And then um, there's something we're doing in the summer. Uh, this might come out after we've done the video. So we're doing a, like a, uh, the national three peaks oh nice which is in june so that i know that's we did yorkshire three peaks last year which was brutal and i vowed never to climb a mountain again but <laughs> i think sitting in a car between mountains actually sounds quite good but we're going to do the national three peaks on the midsummer's day so we'll do it the longest day of the year we've got our first ever butterfly ball at christmas that we've done like a black tie do yeah which we've sold out already we've sold 150 tickets already and it's only when he launched it three weeks ago oh that's amazing and then yeah just trying to keep it actively going trying to raise money for it um trying to keep it um, we're secure now the charity's fine anyway but like I say we're just trying to keep awareness of that actually we're here for parents yeah because obviously it's hard to understand where the charities are and also just keep myself going and support my family really we've yeah. got a lovely little unit now and uh, we're tight and it I, sounds like it mate it yeah really no, to be honest like with you, you appreciate I know this sounds really silly I like staying at home now mm. I appreciate it more I, mm. I can't be bothered to go out down the pub yeah. I know that sounds silly but I actually like staying at home. I don't think it sounds silly at all. No, I bought a barbecue. I cut the barbecues for the summer. I bought that. I'm 40 next week. And I think, um, right, I'm not good. I'm not really, I used to be party animal and go out every Saturday yeah. or Sunday, but I think I value this. I prefer, you know, if someone, I've got two, I've got a baby at home and I've got Rafe, who's, who's four. I would have got wound up with a screaming baby two years ago. But now I just actually, I appreciate even if it's mm, screaming, yeah. trying to punch me, and it's nappy shit everywhere. Yeah, I actually appreciate it a bit more. And actually, where you could get hit up, I think 
where I've learned to just take a step back and a breath and think, just actually appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's what you want, really, yeah. what you have. And um, I think a lot of people take things for granted, really. Yeah. It's crazy how life spans out. Like, you think six years ago, you'd never think you're setting up a charity. Mate, 10 years ago, and I'm, I'm 40, when I'm 30, I was single. And if someone said to me, in 10 years' time, you're going to be married, you'd have had three kids, one of them's not going to be here anymore. You'd have a charity that's up and down the country. And you'd be sitting doing a podcast talking about grief. Mm. I mean, what the fuck's a podcast? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what do you mean you're going to lose a child? Yeah. What do you mean you're going to do? And you're going to be married? Okay. It's a big eye opener, isn't it? And you think, so, like I say, I'm 40. What am I going to be when I'm 50? Hopefully, I'm going to spend my 40s getting myself in shape, fit, healthy, look after my children, and make sure that we can help other people. And that's um, the way forward, really. And it's difficult. Like, not difficult it's different life is different now yeah i think i appreciate things a bit more mm-hmm. i don't get so wound up anymore no um i don't know about you you, you realize that there's actually more to life yeah than, definitely yeah sometimes you forget but then it is you soon like, like i say doing stuff like this it reiterates like yeah you're not gonna be here forever you gotta make it worthwhile well, I'll tell you, when you, you get to my mum was younger than me when you get 40, i'm halfway through now what am i gonna do the next half yeah but i say like 40 now I think, well, look what we are. We've got this charity. And think, well, let's make a difference now for the next 10 years. Let's yeah. really sort of push Continue on. Continue Hugh's legacy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, like Rafe will be five in July, which was the same age Hugh got diagnosed. And that's a really strange one to deal with. Because, yeah, I can imagine, yeah. Um, you, and I, you're looking at Hugh's friends who are like really tall now and eight and nine. He would have been eight this year, Hugh. And you think, oh, it's, like, it, it's weird to think that he's not uh, here with you. But he is always, like you said, yeah. dad's always with you. Mm-hmm. But it's just a strange thing. Our life moves on. And you sort of not forget people, but you move on with them yeah. in your mind, and yeah, it goes it, quick, doesn't it? As well, it goes really quick. Yeah, when people and also people forget, like you'd be walking in, like you, you act normal. I don't know about you, but I act normal. I've got back into yeah. work, and yeah, yeah, yeah. When you see people, and they, I find that difficult. Not difficult, strange when people say, "How many kids you got?" What's it, what'd you say? My wife struggles with that. I said, "Well, you go have a go-to answer." I said, "You can either put it on them, or you can lie." So if you want to put it on them, expect to cry. Yeah. But if you want to lie, expect that you're going to feel that you're missing Hugh out. You're going to get more awkward questions. As well, well. I just say, I've, got, yeah. I've, had, I've got three kids, but two with me. Yeah. yeah, yeah when yeah. they want to ask what happened to the third, I'll say, well, you don't really want to know. Yeah. So let them own the question, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that's the thing. I and, and then, But people ask silly questions. You think, why are you asking me that? What's that got to do with anything? Mm. You're, you're washing my hair and hairdresser. Mm, yeah. What's that? Would you really want to know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that's what I find. That's the that's the reality of grief. Is that sort of stuff? Yeah, yeah no, I find it's that. the answers and the questions. Yeah, it's hard sometimes. Like we've had people before and that. Yeah, and you think that like, I don't know. Like you're the person I'd be talking to about like that sort of thing. But, but I don't know about you. I find talking to random strangers a bit easier about it. Yeah, yeah. I Do you know where they can have a detachment about it? Yeah, don't know you, don't know all your family and that. Got yeah, no, I got no, and that's where counselling works. Yeah, because they're completely. Yeah, random. I was just going to say they that. Don't, yeah. They don't judge you. They don't mm. know you. They've got no reason to judge you. And basically, you speak to them for half hour or forty minutes. At the end of it, you walk out, you don't speak to them again. But you feel like you've offloaded all your shit onto them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're professional enough to understand to to get rid of it, and that they deal with it in a way. And you think, oh, okay, I feel better now. Yeah. That's that's where it is works, but a lot of people with therapy think they're going to bring up all their past and make them crumble. Mm. I'm like, no, they're not going to do that. They're talking about what's wrong with you now. Yeah, they're not going to go about what you what you eat when you were six. Yeah, how's that affected you now? 
Yeah. They're not worried about it. They're mm. worried about how you're feeling now and how you're going to move forward. Because that's what therapy is about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You can't change the past. That's the thing. It's, it's all looking forward. Like you say this happened. Well, you got... well, yeah. You, you just don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. No, exactly. So yeah. There's always going to be more obstacles than that in there yeah. around the corner. So, But all this thing is teaching you tools how to deal with life. Yeah. And that's why I think the key to therapy and... and um, if you can have more tools on how to deal with stuff like that, you, you're winning really. Like, I oh, think it's... You're only a step ahead, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, and I just think the more you people you talk to and ask about things, I think the better. Always never be afraid to ask advice of someone no. or people's opinions. What You're you not do. weak, are you? If you ask for help, it's just... No, and also be strong enough to say, actually, I don't think that's the right opinion. What you're doing is not, it's different mm-hmm. for me. There's lots of people out there that have lost someone and you think, God, you need help. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see them, even in the public eye, you can see, mate, you have obviously haven't dealt with it yeah, you can't, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying like, even Prince Harry mm-hmm. you can see that he hasn't dealt with the with loss the of his mum properly right yeah yeah you can see that definitely and I, I and, that, and there's obviously a reason like losing your mum at that age must be terrible mm-hmm. but you can see that he must be still paining him yeah. like, not hasn't dealt with the loss properly yeah well I don't like no one knows but like, that's how it appears in the public mm-hmm. yeah, but definitely. you see there's some things like just go and you can see like when the people lose their mums in public eye or dads they go crazy some of yeah. them yeah well, we off. know how hard it is not being in a public eye, and let alone someone who's yeah. trying to shove a camera in your in your face or trying to ask you questions that are really inappropriate and stuff like. Yeah, and, and there's people like you think like Eric Clapton, you know, the, the guitarist stuff. He lost his son. He fell out of a, a building window, I believe. That's many, hell, many yeah. years. Actually, wrote the song "Tears in Heaven," and you think. Well, he's got on with his life and you think you can get on with your life mm-hmm. I mean, there's many like Nicholas Lindhurst mm-hmm. he lost his son yeah. David Cameron lost his son um, and you think who else uh, there's many uh, John Travolta so there's lots of high profile celebrities that do lose like you know, in, the, in, the, in the children area and they get on with their lives but it's just I wish they used their platform more to describe how they do yeah. it yeah 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 yeah. but you're doing it now so yeah hopefully. You're, doing it now. We're all doing it. you're dealing with it yeah Oh mate, it's been uh, been amazing to be fair. Yeah, well, no, what a podcast to kick back on with. <laughs> so I've <I'll> talked loads. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that's what mate, that's what we want. <laughs> yeah, we want to get as much information out there as possible. Do you know what I mean? No, Anyone listening um, can take something from this hundred percent. Do you know what I mean? So, I say, yeah. my my thing on is if anyone I'm not like say I'm not a celebrity, but if anyone wants to reach out and heard this who's suffering or. Like just reach out, drop me a message on Instagram. Yeah, on the, we'll on, we'll push your yeah, socials and everything, mate. I think the more people can help each yeah. other, I think it's so much easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if they listen to this and just listen to your little, yeah, your little snippets of it of how you have a look at it. your charity. Yeah, mate, you're offering you're offering a lot, which is amazing, mate. Really good. Hats off to you. Yeah, I appreciate. It. No, thanks for boys having me. It's been a pleasure to talk. No, to I've you. really Thank enjoyed you. it, mate. Yeah, no, lovely. All right, cheers. cheers. Thank you very much, mate.